Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining Michigan Minds. I'm really excited about the guest we have today who's going to share so much valuable insight with us. So can you please go ahead and introduce yourself and share a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Adam Loring. I'm an associate professor in the School of Medicine with appointments in the Division of Infectious Diseases in the Department of Internal Medicine and in the Department of Microbiology and Immunology. I'm a physician scientist. I spend some of my time caring for patients with a variety of infections, but I spend most of my time running a research lab uh, composed of students, postdoctoral fellows, and research technicians. Can you tell us a little bit about the areas that your research focuses in and the work that's conducted at your lab? We're interested in how viruses evolve. Our work or our projects kind of fall in three main areas. Um, first, we're interested in why some viruses, namely RNA viruses or viruses that have their genomes made of RNA, why those viruses make so many mutations and what that means for their behavior. Uh, in a related set of projects, we've used uh, uh, high throughput sequencing of viruses from infected people to understand how viruses accumulate mutations in the real world and what happens to these mutations when viruses transmit from one person to the next. And finally, we've worked collaboratively with other groups to use viral sequence data to track the spread of infections in larger communities and to understand virus evolution and how it relates to vaccines. And we've asked all these questions uh, in our studies of poliovirus, influenza virus, and now SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID. Which is uh, probably, if no surprise to you, what I want to ask you about today, the COVID-19 virus, just based on your research and expertise with RNA viruses. Can you briefly describe how the COVID-19 virus challenges approaches to control? There's some, some things that are, are, I think, fairly typical uh, and challenges with uh, SARS-CoV-2 or the virus that causes COVID. Um, and then there's some that are not unique, but somewhat different with it. I think one thing is always, as from our point of view, we're always focused on how viruses change over time and how that can affect um, vaccines or other me measures of control. And I think we're seeing that play out now uh, with COVID. Um, the other thing we've seen over the last 18 months are there are so many challenges to controlling a completely new virus causing a pandemic. Uh, I'm not trained as an epidemiologist, but for me, one of the most challenging things uh, has been the number of people who have asymptomatic infections. Uh, and so they're infected and spreading and you don't even know it. Um, and also the numbers of people who transmit the virus before they have symptoms. And so that makes it a lot harder to, to get ahead of the game. And that's raised all sorts of issues with testing, contact tracing, quarantining, everything that we've been dealing with uh, since uh, uh, winter 2020. Uh, the other challenge has been how our lack of control in general, both in the US and around the world, has contributed to the virus's 
rapid evolution. So every infected person uh, is a chance for the virus to try out mutations and innovate. Um, and that's something that um, has played out in ways that I don't think many of us anticipated a year and a half ago. Based on the understanding of the, this virus's unique evolution, how have the vaccines helped overcome some of these challenges? I think the vaccines are so amazingly effective. Even, even now, um, where we see news stories about you know, questioning if, if they're still as effective as they were um, and what's changed, uh, I think it's, it's really impressive. Um, and they have the potential to solve some of the challenges, uh, particularly those with asymptomatic infection and transmission, right? I mean, if we get enough people vaccinated, um, if we can deploy the vaccine to enough people, then those issues become less of a problem um, because you don't need to worry about tracking every single person and whether they're infecting, whether they're infected or transmitting. And of course, all of this could have an evolutionary benefit. If you, if you vaccinate enough people, there's fewer infected people that means fewer changes for the virus to make and long-term outlook and trajectory looks better. So as your research expands on aspects of mutation rate in RNA viruses and influenza, what can you tell us about the way the COVID-19 virus has mutated specifically in regards to the Delta variant, which we're currently facing? I think... The whole challenge, the whole issue of the variants, and I put those in air quotes uh, for people listening, is uh, these have been so much in the news uh, in 2021. And it really highlights how, to me, how the challenge is not so much the evolution, um, but the epidemiology. And what I mean by that is, if you look how SARS-CoV-2 makes mutations, you might think it would be less problematic than influenza or poliovirus, the other viruses I study, which tend to mutate much faster. But two issues, in my opinion, have made it very challenging. With uncontrolled spread, you have millions and millions of infected people, each harboring millions and millions of viruses each. Each of those viruses is making new mutational steps all the time. And that means there's lots of opportunity for the virus to take a new direction, not because the evolution has changed, but because of the epidemiology of what's going on. When describing the mutational process, I often liken viruses to people playing slot machines. And so generally people lose. And so the virus loses by making mutations. But if there are enough people playing the slots for long enough, someone eventually hits a jackpot. And so rare events happen if the numbers are big enough. The other issue at play is that humans are a new host for the virus. And that means the virus has a lot of potential to improve. And I think that's what we've been seeing over the last six to nine months. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit for the virus in terms of mutations to make and improvements it can make to be a better virus in humans. Eventually, I suspect that the virus's evolution might slow down as there are fewer easy moves for it to make. And also each mutation can close off certain pathways. It's sort of like trails through the woods. Once you start down a path, it can be hard to then backtrack and try a different pathway. You're sort of locked in. And then certain pathways can then become off limits. And so I suspect that'll play out over the next couple of years. It seems like the Delta variant is, um, I don't know if it's contagious or infectious is the right term, but we've had, we've faced other variants 
before this of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And so um, is there anything that's making the Delta variant different from those variants? I think we've, we've clearly seen a number of variants uh, that have kind of hit and, you know, and then hit the news um, in the last, what, eight or nine months. And I think Delta is, is different. Um, I think it's more of a, 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 a matter of degree as opposed to uh, the kind of the type of change. And so I'll explain. So like other variants, Delta has a number of mutations and that provide clues for how it's able to replicate so quickly and how it can tr transmit so easily from one person to the next. And it really appears to be um, much better um, at doing that um, than prior uh, SARS-CoV-2s. Uh, I think people might remember Alpha uh, or B117 back in January and February, particularly in Michigan. And um, that was also able to replicate better and transmit uh, uh, more easily. Uh, and so Delta is even better than that. And so it's a matter of it, it, a degree, I think. Um, and so it shares some of the mutations with other variants that aren't quite so problematic. Um, and I think that highlights how you need to look at kind of the constellation of mutations. There's, there's not any single mutation is the key to the puzzle. Uh, and I think it's some mutations do allow the virus to do one thing and some mutations allow it to do the other thing. And when you get certain combinations, you can have um, a virus like Delta um, that is, uh, from the virus's perspective, really successful. It's very good at spreading and causing infections. Um, and we're only beginning to understand all the reasons why. Thank you. So are there ways in which the mutation rate of this virus can decrease? There isn't much we can do to control how a virus makes mutations kind of at a fundamental level. Um, we can't really tinker with it and, 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 and control that. Uh, but we can reduce the number of people infected through masks, physical distancing, and vaccines. And that effectively reduces opportunities for the virus to replicate, to copy itself, and therefore to make new mutations. So I remember hearing um, Dr. Fauci um, give an interview uh, way back in January where he said the vaccination makes, pe makes people dead ends for the virus. And I thought that was a nice and very clear message is that if you get vaccinated, you become a dead ender for the virus. So the virus can't or it's unlikely that the virus will move on um, and that will lead to fewer mutations. And so that is probably the best thing we can do um, to kind of slow things down um, over the longer term. So students are, of course, top of mind right now as many families are preparing for the start of the new school year. So what can be done in your opinion and based on your research to best protect kids under 12 who are not yet able to get a COVID-19 vaccine? Sure, well, this, this has been a big topic in my household uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, we had three kids who went back to school this week, um, one vaccinated, um, but two not old enough yet. And uh, I think the best thing we can do is to make sure we're being diligent about all the measures we've learned uh, can prevent spread, so masks. Uh, uh, physical distancing, um, and uh, particularly reducing unmasked time indoors. And so, you know, paying attention to things like, you know, lunch and, you know, 
uh, you know, uh, situations where we know that there's a risk of transmission. Um, and then beyond that, um, regular testing uh, and then participation and contact tracing efforts. So, you know, if, if your um, you know, child is test positive, um, you know, make sure that, you know, you notify um, either the school, uh, you know, or whoever, whoever needs to know um, so that, you know, they can then take measures to um, get the word out and, and reduce the spread. As the podcast interview comes to a close, I like to ask each expert who comes on this question, and sometimes it's the most difficult question that I ask, I think, what is something, the, the one big takeaway, something that you hope everyone listening remembers from this conversation? I think it's easy to look at the news about COVID and be discouraged. Um, and this is understandable as we thought we were emerging from this mess as it moved from spring into summer. And the Delta variant really has, it's been a setback. Its behavior means uh, the game just got a lot harder uh, and the game being how to control things. Um, but as I think it's easy to forget that we really have agency uh, to alter the course of the epidemic. And we have effective tools. We've learned a tremendous amount about the virus in a short amount of time and vaccines remain quite effective at preventing serious illness, um, which is what the vaccines were designed to do. And so I think the main thing is if we could only get enough people vaccinated here in the US and around the world and be diligent about our other measures in the meantime, we can really have an impact on the number of people who get sick and also start to reduce the chances of a new variant down the road. We just need to have the will and support and to support people in these efforts. And so I think that's, that's the one thing is, is we, we can do this and we have the tools um, and I think, I think we were all hoping that we'd be in a better place by now, um, but we'll get there. It's just, it's, we're just not there yet. I think that that's a great message for us to wrap up on, but I do want to ask if there's anything else that you want to add to this. Well, I think if you're listening and you haven't been vaccinated, go get vaccinated, or at the very least, go talk to your healthcare providers about vaccination. It's the most important thing right now for you, your loved ones, your community. Um, and so that, yeah, I think that would be the one thing I'd want everyone to listen to, at least put in their head. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Loring, for your time and sharing your expertise. We sincerely appreciate it. Thank you. It's been great. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.